Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Genetics Podcast. I'm really excited to be here today with Dr. Bettina Lundgren, who's the CEO of the Danish National Genome Center. She's a medical doctor by training, and we're going to cover the Danish National Genome Center strategy and how they're working to advance personalized medicine in Denmark. So, Bettina, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to join me. Thank you very much. I'm pleased uh, to join you. And I think it's very important that, that, that you know, things about the genomes and inferencing genomes into healthcare is coming up. And I think you do a great job by interviewing different people around the field. So thank you very much also for inviting me. Thank you. I really appreciate it. My job is made easy by all the great guests that we have. And you're no exception. So you're a medical doctor by background. How did you find your way into genomics in the first place? Well, I uh, I have been actually working in the field ever since I started as a medical doctor. I spent two years working at the NIH as a research fellow together with my husband who, who was working there. And I actually worked on the first sequences on the pneumocystis carina genome, which was at that time very important because it caused pneumonia in AIDS patients. So uh, we characterized the genomes doing actually Sanger sequencing, which was another technique way back then. But this was my first introduction into the technology of, of genomes, uh, and it has followed me ever since in my career. So, uh, so this was when it all started. And you've been recently CEO of the Danish National Genome Center, which is focused on specifically getting genomics into the healthcare system. And, and I've listened to a couple of your past podcasts and read some of the strategy, and that focus is really clear. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how this national center came to be how you came to be leading it and what some of the things are that you're focused on. Mm -hmm. So the National Genome Center was established in 2019 and it was born out of a strategy which was made between the state, the regions that run hospitals in Denmark, the universities and other stakeholders around personalized medicine that wanted to launch a strategy on more personalized medicine towards uh, patients. And, and one of the steps in, in the strategy was to establish the genome initiative and establishing Danish Genome Center. So this was how the establishment of the Genome Center came into, into you know, uh, real life. And, and there was, of course, a lot of work before and, and coming up to it. And there was also a big funding from one of the Danish funders, Nordisk Foundation, who gave a big sum in order to kick off the start and the establishments of the infrastructure that we needed. And then the state established the Danish National Genome Center as an authority under the Ministry of Health at that point in order to have a unified way of implementing it towards healthcare. There was also a political anchor in the establishment of the center as well as a legislation around it saying that we needed to be established in order to build the infrastructure, in order to build up a genome database to make it the genomes accessible for healthcare and researchers in the development towards more personalized medicine. So it was actually a long history, starting with a strategy, getting funding for it, uh, establishing it as an authority and using the connections and, and collaboration with a lot of stakeholders in order, order to you know, make sure that this was the way we wanted to move forward. I was wondering if you could compare and contrast the approach that you all have taken in Denmark with some of the other major national scale programs. So I'm thinking of groups like Genomics England here or, or, or FinGen or maybe even the, I hesitate to compare with the US because it's, it's a much bigger and more federated system than, than some of those other countries. But I'm wondering where, where do you all see a similar 
vision to some of those other programs? And where's the, the program that you run a little bit different? So in Denmark, we were, of course, in, inspired by other programs, especially in the Genomics England that has at that time started the initiative to build up a cohort. And there are many countries who have an initiative. And to answer your question, I think that the Danish initiative is pretty similar to the French initiative, to the, to the British initiative for the time being, as well as the Swedish initiative. And, and comparing to those initiatives is because that they try to do a uniform or a national implementation and do it directly into healthcare. So when we were doing the planning on how to do it, not even Genomics England has done it at that time. So, so connecting the initiative up to the NHS and implementing the whole genome sequencing directly into healthcare. So it has been quite a task in order to figure out how exactly to do so, how exactly to have all the data agreements and all the legal agreements ready between different regions and, and, and hospital settings in Denmark. We have five regions running hospitals and, and making sure we had data agreements in order for that, but also in, in order to plan, you know, a national initiative, a national standardization, a national also standardization towards other countries in terms of how you do it technically. And, and then implement that to a whole healthcare system because the critical uh, angle towards the National Genome Center was that this should be something that was offered equally to patients in Denmark. So patients that could benefit from a whole genome sequencing, they should be offered it no matter where they lived, if they lived in the north or in the west of Denmark or in the capital region or in a smaller uh, city. So, so, so this was actually a, a whole federated way of doing it and standardized way directly into healthcare. And I think this was a, a huge ambition. And, and of course, the, the patient could benefit from the genomes directly, but it also was quite an effort to collaborate and figure out how to do it together with more than 250 specialists around Denmark in different areas, technical experts and others. So we have had a lot of governance and a lot of coordination in order to figure out how to actually implement something that was still quite a new technology and a new way of working in the healthcare setting uh, in terms of actually, you know, translating genomes to patient care and what should they actually, how should they benefit from the result. And, w- and when I read your, I think it was your 2021, 2022 strategy, you have a goal to sequence 60,000 whole genomes in the healthcare system by 2024. I was, I was curious on the progress towards that goal, but also which disease areas you're focusing on within that. Is it oncology, rare disease, some of the similar areas that groups like Genomics England are, or are there, are there some differences in terms of the focus areas based on the unique aspects of the Danish healthcare system? So, so I think we are pretty much implementing the same areas that you do other places in the world, like Genomics England and also in France, since the patients should benefit for the genome. So, so we were actually out looking at, at what kind of patients would actually benefit. And of course, that needed that patient had a kind of genetic component in, in the, the disease. So I think it's pretty much the same. We had a, a scheme of how we should do that and. And a whole open and transparent setup in order for specialists to apply. So, so I mean, the, the evidence for using genes in, in diagnostic and treatment are pretty much the same all over the world. So, 
So, so we have the same patient groups, kind of. So we have rare diseases in, in, in young and adults and, and rare diseases within some disease areas, for example, endocrinology, infectious diseases. And then we also have the, the group of pan- cancer patients. So, so it is rare inherited diseases within, you know, different clinical areas. And then it's, it's a cancer area where we also do some treatment. So it's pretty much the same areas that we work on. Just to answer your questions on the 60,000, so that was just a goal we were setting when, when we got the funding from the, the Nuvo Nordic Foundation in order to implement. So, so we, we should implement 60,000, you know, the genomes or, or analysis for the patients. And at the moment, we are around 1,400. So it's there's still quite a bit of way to go. But, but we only started first, of course, with a pilot on, on, on rare diseases. And then the, the different patient group has been approved during the last year. So we receive approximately 1,000 genomes every month now and, and, and are scaling up. So I, th- I think we are pretty well off. Of course, not where we want it to be, but I must say some, some of the things have taken a little longer. Some will say too long, but I'm actually impressed of how fast we have done it. So I think when we speak to people who knows what we are talking about, and you do that in a whole hospital system, I think this is very, very important. So, yeah. Yes. And, and once you get the core infrastructure up, like you said, it sounds like you're getting a thousand genomes a month. This, this can and will scale very quickly, at least if, if, yeah. if Genomics England and others are any pattern. I was curious on, on what, what have been the biggest challenges with integrating genomics into healthcare, because I think we've been through as a field 20 great years of amazing, amazing discoveries and some in fundamental research, but it's a whole different thing to bring that fundamental discovery into the healthcare system. And you've been experiencing that firsthand. I'm curious, what are some of the barriers you've run into both expected and unexpected? So I think, uh, you know, in, in the beginning there was, I mean, there's a lot of silos in the hospital system, the silos between departments, between healthcare professionals silos between hospitals, university hospitals, smaller hospitals, in order who should do what and how trained are you. And in Denmark, we have a way of organizing health. So very specialized treatment are in, in some of the main university hospitals. They, of course, have a lot of professors that are used to work with this. So they had some experience working with this. And now we are broadening it out a little bit. So because the interpretation of the data should be done out in the hospital setting, also our Wet labs are actually also run in the hospital setting. So they should, you know, educate their staff, figuring out how to work. It has mainly been geneticists working with this. It's all the ways through how should you actually have it, you know, make the patient have a consent that, that they want to have a whole genome sequencing done and, and all these things. And if you're not used to work on that, then it's, a, it's, it's something that are overwhelming for a hospital staff that are not used to it. So we also, we not, but the hospital system, the regions and the collaborators, they needed to train each other. The geneticists needed to help out out other specialities in in doing so. So so I think that, you know, although we have actually tried to engage more than 250 staff, clinical staff and technical staff out there, there were still a lot of other healthcare professionals that needed to learn how to do this all the way from having the consent in order to 
have the sample sent in in order to have the result back in order to discuss in a multidisciplinary team conference together with, you know, lab technicians, specialists, uh, healthcare professionals, figuring out what should the outcome be of the test uh, in order to give the patient a feedback. So, so, so it's been a long process. And also just, you know, to have the infrastructure, the, the computing that you need to work in a new environment in order to analyze these huge data. This was also new from the staff out in the hospital setting. So there was a lot of new things coming in and, and, you know, just pressing it out into the hospital system. So there's been a lot of, you know, getting used to breaking down barriers between understanding different languages because academic technical staff speak one language. Me as a healthcare professional and others, they speak another language and how do we understand each other? So there's been a lot of barriers that we have tried to break down. But I think one important thing is that everybody wants to share, but it's also why should we share the data nationally or how can we actually do it? And and are we sure if we have it nationally, we can still access it in order to get back to the data. So, And this was some of the background why we started the whole thing up. What have you learned about data sharing and individual patient public perception of this, I suppose you probably had to go through a lot of important conversations with different stakeholders to understand people's attitudes towards sharing not just their genomic data, but potentially medical records. How did how did you all start this and embark on this? And where have you arrived in terms of that strategy for sharing data, not just with the researchers, but also you've got collaborations with with companies that almost every major population genomics initiative has today? How did you go about that? I mean, there's been a lot of politics in different ways uh, since we uh, since we started. So in the beginning, which was 18, 19, when we were just starting up, there was a scaredness from the both the public and also some profession, healthcare professionals that said that you know genome should not be saved and how could it be safe and and why should patients give their genomes both you know for themselves but also for other patients and things like that. So. But this was probably maybe the few, but the few was making a lot of noise. And the politicians, of course, were scared that, you know, we were actually going to sell the data to insurance companies or other. And that's also why that in Denmark, there was a, a strategy that the Danish should be kept on Danish soil. So our data centers are Danish soil and we cannot share data across borders. So if you want to work in our infrastructure with the data you need to come to us and work in the infrastructure with the data. But there was something about the legislation and things that came up of the discussion. So this was way in the beginning. After that, I think it was more about how, I mean, rare diseases are rare, so we need to share in some way, but how do we do it? With, and, and people were used to having, or, or healthcare professional laboratories and others that were used to have control over their own data and over the samples. Of course, it's the patient's data. And I think in Denmark, we are pretty far on digitalization and sharing information on data. So I think everybody knew it was going that way, but there were some, you know, fields that needed to overcome these things. I think we are there. We are not probably not there all the way because we are not that far yet. So we really are sharing the information, but it's also something about Registration. Are you actually allowed to sh- share data across the five regions that we have in Denmark? So this we are still discussing with lawyers. So there has been a lot of discussions also with lawyers on how we interpret the 
the legislation. So some of these things have been issues that we are working on. But I think uh, one of the good things is that if you haven't decided on such an ambitious strategy, you would not have overcome some of these issues. So we have moved a lot forward. But of course, we need to push it even further because now we have the genomes and, and we need also to try to figure out how should we combine these genomes with other healthcare data and, and, and quality registries and other socioeconomic data. So this hopefully will be the plan moving forward. So I think there's still a lot of work to be done, but, but we have the fundament for it and, and, and we also have the political system that are ambitious on this. So they want to make a new ambitious strategy on personalized medicine to keep us moving forward. They want to make a, a new ambitious strategy for life science so also that private companies can get access to the data and, and develop a new medicine for patients. So I think we have the frame around us to do it. We just need to maybe move from talking about it to actually do it. So, so I think that's probably everybody's yes. uh, way. I'd actually love to understand a little bit more about the five regions that you mentioned and and the structure that might make this difficult. I think people tend to assume that especially smaller countries like the UK or Denmark are a lot more monolithic than they actually are. And and I I don't know much about this. Could you explain what about the five regions and what what gets in the way of sharing data across those five regions or or at least what makes it a little bit of a gray area? So we have the state that plan what healthcare should go through the political system. And then we have five regions that actually are responsible for running the hospital system. So they run the different hospitals and the care of patients and implement whatever is decided at the, the political level. But they are themselves, you know, responsible for economy and organization. So, so then, of course, are something that comes from the state, how many Departments should actually be uh, treating children with cancer only two places in Denmark, or you know. So there's there's some uh, regulations around that, but but the, the regions are, are making the decision on how they should do it. So they decide on on how many genetics departments do they want to have, where do they want to have their tests done, do they want it to in pathology or gen- gen- genetic departments or other departments. So there are different settings on how there are also collaboration between hospitals. So it was all these things and, and they have their own leadership and their own political system. So they also have their own way of interpreting the legislation and making data agreement. So all these things. So, so it has actually been kind of negotiating with, with five different regions and pushing things forward and making things happen and and also for myself to call the head of the depart- the, the region to say, hey, you need to sign this contract. Can you <laughs> move it forward yes. uh, in order for us to, to move? So, so it has been big things and small things. So, and they run the hospital system and more. Some regions are bigger than others. Some regions have more specialized staff than others. Some regions are smaller. So a good example on what this also does is that we have a smaller region that we're not used to work so much with, with genome sequencing or interpretation. But now, since we have made a standardized way of doing it, they can actually offer their patient a better treatment. So they actually think that it's good that we have the system and they can collaborate across countries, across the country, and, and, and help each other. So in this area, 
there has actually been some good things that we share knowledge and collaborate more across the regions and hospitals and specialities. Well, and on the topic of collaboration, you all announced a partnership not too long ago with Genomic Medicine Sweden. I know that you knowledge share very closely with Genomics England and, and I assume many of the others. Can you talk a little bit about collaboration across Europe and, and even across the world on this? Maybe a little bit about the partnership with Sweden and then some of the vision that you have for a European-wide or, or worldwide consortium, if, if you are thinking about that. So we definitely think about that, and it's definitely also something that is important in the strategy moving forward and in the field as such, because like we talked about, and some of your other participants have been talking about that rare diseases are rare, and we need to figure out how to share, maybe not send the data out of the border, but how can we actually share information on the data that we have in, in a standardized way. And, and we represent Denmark in uh, the European initiative, One Plus Million Genomes, where we have different work packages and we both have staff from our center, which is authority, but also for, for the healthcare that represent Denmark in the different groups. So we actually try to standardize that way and, and know what's going on. And also it's part of D4H before in order to how, figuring out how can we standardize information about the data and how so in order to be ready to exchange across borders, not send data out, but exchange information. So I think that is a very important call for this. And then we have a closer collaboration with England and Sweden and France. And this is because they also implement into healthcare. So we actually try to help each other on, for example, obstacles <laughs> that we yes. run into <laughs> and, and have a very close relationship both in at the more formal way, but also on the informal way, we can actually call each other. So how much time can an interpreter spend on interpreting data in your setting? Because if it's an area that has been run through a narrow specialty in Denmark, which is not so big, genetics, they can actually look at the data for a very long time. But for example, in cancer patients and other patients, they are more urgent in order to get an answer out. And how long time can you actually sit and how much of the data should you actually look at? So, so these discussions has also been going on between us. We have also uh, discussed something about how do you actually get engagement in the clinical staff? Uh, how can you train them through the ones that are out there? And what kind of patient information do you have? How do you work with patient engagement? So there's a lot of areas that, that we can work together on uh, and we try to collaborate on. And I think what is very important is that you get a closer relationship to each other. So you can actually have both a formal but also an informal way of discussing these things. So, so that is one thing. And then we have just last week, we had an international advisory board for the Danish National Genome Center. And, and we have very knowledgeable people there. And so they also, in a formal way, give us advice of what should a new strategy for personalized medicine cover? How do you think we are moving forward? Is it something that we can change or focus on? And then we had the Heidi Rem from, from the U.S. from Broad, and we had Tim Hobbit from Genomics England, and, and we have Richard Rosenquist from Genomics Sweden. So we have a lot of the people that sit on core areas like ours and that can actually give us some advice and some discussions on the topic. And I'm very impressed that people come for these meetings because we also like to meet each other and hear uh, from each other. So I think these also formal fora are also very important. 
for us to share knowledge, not only for them to advise Denmark, but also for the other countries in between to hear from, you know, the experts around the world. So I think there's a very good collaboration between the nations here. So if you were to look forward five or 10 years, what are, what are the things that you'd say, like, absolutely, this is going to, we're, we're going to do this and it's going to be different. Maybe it's things like sequencing every rare disease patient that comes to the healthcare system. And, and then what are the things that you'd say, there may be a, a stretch or you're not sure how it's going to play out, but there are areas that you're really excited about pursuing and, and think that they may have an opportunity to really change patient care for the better, but but you're not maybe sure at this point. So, I, I mean, at the moment, we are very focused on the task that we have in the National Genome Center in order to implement across healthcare. So I hope that, you know, in, in a five years' time from now, the healthcare system is more used to working on, on, on genomes and how to actually implement it in, and offer it into healthcare. And, and, and also, I think it's important to figure out exactly when to do what kind of genome sequencing and use it in a proper way in terms of the patient journey, at what time should they actually be used. And we need a process in order to figure out how to do that in Denmark, how do we actually implement it. It's not there yet, but I hope we figure out a frame for that moving forward. I also hope that we figure out a way that that, that we can actually help each other across borders so we can exchange information on data and access data in order to develop more personalized medicine and better treatment for the patient. I just participated in a meeting in Stockholm and heard some of the cancer groups across the Nordic countries, and, and they have a close collaboration so where they discuss these things and can actually refer patients to treatment in other countries if they have a protocol for that, which I think is also a great way of you know, getting a better, more personalized treatment for the patient. And then I hope also we will move forward on, on, on figuring out a way where we can actually combine genomes with other data and, in order to make it easier for, for the healthcare professionals and to interpret the data in context with other data, both for the treatment of the patient today or the patient they have in, in, in the context, but also for researchers to get access to this information in order to develop more personalized medicine. Because I think we need to figure out a way to treat patients, not so we treat them like one size fits all, but more individually and more personalized. So I, I hope that will be, if you look maybe five, ten years ago, going forward, that this will be part of the solution for how can we actually still treat patients or keep some patients out of the hospital. So that is actually some of the hopes that I have for the future using personalized medicine. Amazing. Well, I think that's a perfect note to end on. Thank you, Bettina. I, I really appreciate your time. Is there anything else that you wanted to add or touch on? And, or, or is there a place that people can find out more about, more about you or more about your work if they want to keep track of what you're doing? I mean, the Danish National Genome Center has a website and they're more than welcome to access that. And, and they will find information on me there also. And, and of course, we are very interested in collaborating or or answering anything that we can about Genome Center. So I think, I think that will be it then. And, and then I think it's important that we keep developing the field with the stakeholders that we have around the world. So thank you very much for letting me participate.
Great. No, thank you. Like I said at the beginning, my job is easy when I have amazing guests like you. So thank you. And thanks, everybody, for listening. As always, we really appreciate any feedback you have, guest recommendations. And as always, please do share this episode with a friend or a colleague. And if you like the podcast, please do leave us a review in Spotify, Apple, or wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.